Well, good morning, Bellevue Church. So glad to see you this morning. I want to thank my father for having me preach in his absence today. It's a privilege to be here once again. And I know that you've got an extra hour of sleep, so we're going to put it to good work right now, okay? So open your Bibles with me, please, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to be focusing in this morning on verses 31 through 38. John 4, verse 31 through 38. The title of my message to you this morning is The Essential Qualities of a Harvester. The Essential Qualities of a Harvester. While you're turning to John 4, I want to ask you this question. Are you a laborer in the Great Commission harvest field of God? Are you right now in this period of your life, would you be able to say you are a laborer in the Great Commission harvest field of God? Do you have the qualities necessary to be a fruitful laborer in God's harvest field? Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are what? Few. Well, we want to be among the few, amen? And we want to see that increase that God would raise up and send out and use more and more of us as Great Commission harvesters. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And so we're in John chapter 4 when you found verse 31. Please follow along with me as I read down through verse 38. The Word of God says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered in to their labor. Let's pray together. Lord of the harvest, we come before you right now and we ask that in this moment you would take the word of God, your word, and you would use your spirit to open our eyes, to put a hunger in our heart, and to send us out into your harvest field. Lord, if the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, then we say with the prophet Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me into your harvest field. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We know one of the things that I think it takes to be great at something, if you wanna be great at something, one of the best things you can do is learn from someone else who's already great at that thing. Have you ever learned that in your life? You don't always have to be constantly figuring things out on your own. Lots of times you can look and observe and learn from other people who have already mastered a certain area of life and you can learn from them so that you can help improve in that area of life as well. I came across a subscription service recently called Masterclass. How many of you have seen the advertisements for that? Uh, And by the way, as a side note here, How many of you have at least like 10 subscriptions to different uh, television services now? We all cut cable a few years ago, right? 
And we thought we were going to save money by subscribing to these services. And now we've all got like 20 subscriptions and we're paying more than we used to. But there's another one to add to your list, Masterclass. And in this subscription, what you can do is they have over uh, around 100 different experts in, in about nine different categories or fields. And you can watch these tutorial videos from people who are experts who have mastered their field. And, and the idea is that you can learn from them the qualities that have made them masters in the first place so that you can then improve in that area as well. So, for example, you can learn basketball from Stephen Curry. And in nine simple episodes, you can be shooting three-pointers like him, right? It's easy. You can learn business from Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks. You can learn cooking from Gordon Ramsay and become a master chef. And the idea, once again, is that you can glean certain of the qualities that make those people masters at what they do, and you can get better at it yourself as a result. Well, think with me this morning. Wouldn't it be incredible if you could take a master class with Jesus, <laughs> how many of you would, would, would get on that subscription? Amen. Yeah, a master class with Jesus. Well, here's the good news. That's what the gospels are meant to provide for us. And in a passage like this, in John chapter 4, Jesus is giving us in this passage a master class on great commission harvesting, on evangelism, on being a laborer in the harvest field. Listen, there was no greater master at the great commission than Jesus. There was no greater laborer in the harvest field of the Father than Jesus Christ, his son. He was so great at it. And in John chapter 4, we see him at work doing what he does. Jesus, if you know the story, in the first 30 verses of John 4, had come to a Samaritan town called Sychar, and he stops at a well, and he meets a woman there. And before long, he gets into a spiritual conversation with her. And at the end of that story, she believes that he's the Messiah, the Savior. And she goes back and tells the town, and they are coming out to him. And, and before the chapter is through, multitudes from that town have believed in him. And what is Jesus doing? He is reaping a great commission harvest as a laborer in the harvest field of his father. And nobody could do it like Jesus did it. I mean, he was awesome at it. But then here's what happens in our passage, verses 31 through 38. While the townspeople are on their way to meet Jesus at the well where the woman originally was, while they're on their way, the disciples come back and they catch Jesus laboring in the harvest field. And Jesus takes them aside in verses 31 to 38. And he gives them some teaching, a lecture, if you will on all that he himself is in the middle of doing because he wants to train them to be better at laboring in God's harvest field. He wants to pass on to them the qualities that make him such a master harvester in the great commission field of God. And so that's what we have in this passage. I want us to notice this morning in the passage we're looking at three essential qualities of a great commission harvester that we see depicted in the life of Jesus, and that, the, that Jesus then passes on in his teaching in this passage to his disciples, and that he wants to pass on to you and I. Notice what they are with me. First, the first essential to being a great commission harvester like Jesus is hunger. You've got to have the hunger. You've got to have the hunger for the great commission, for the harvest of God that Jesus had. Notice what it says again with me in verse 31. It says in verse 31 that meanwhile... The disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now, if you know the story, again, when, when they got to this town of Sychar in Samaria, 
Jesus stayed at the well. The disciples went into town because they were hungry. So they go and they hit up the local Taco Bell. And, uh, and then they, uh, I imagine that they, they get a to-go box for Jesus and they bring it out to Jesus. They know he's hungry too. And they get to the well. The whole time Jesus has been doing spiritual stuff, right? He's been leading people to Christ, to himself. And they get back and they say, Rabbi, eat. And then notice how Jesus responds. It says in verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. What's Jesus doing there? Jesus is shifting the attention of the disciples from physical food to spiritual food. See what he's doing? You're talking about physical food, disciples, because you're hungry and that's all you can think about. But I want to tell you, I've got food to eat that you don't even know about. Spiritual food. Jesus is really doing with the disciples here what he had already done to the woman at the well earlier in the passage. With the woman at the well, he shifts her attention from physical water that she had come out there to draw to spiritual water, living water, that if she drinks of it, she will never thirst again. He's shifting her attention from physical water to spiritual water and spiritual thirst. And now he's shifting the attention of the disciples from physical food and physical hunger to spiritual food and spiritual hunger. And he's doing something that to show them that this is where you must start if you want to be a master at Great Commission harvesting. You've got to hunger for the right thing. Spiritual food, Jesus is telling us, is more important than physical food. Write that down. Spiritual food is more important than physical food. And that is something you must understand if you want to be a fruitful laborer in the harvest field of God, like Jesus was. That's where it begins. The things of God, Jesus is saying, is more important than the things of this world. Now, this is a lesson that it's hard for people to understand. And God has always had to remind his people of this truth. Uh, I mean, even way back in the Old Testament, God had to teach the people of Israel this principle that spiritual food is more important than physical food. Think, for example, about when the people of Israel were brought out of Egypt and God is taking them with the leadership of Moses to the promised land. And on the way, they pass through the desert and they're there for 40 years. They're in the desert. And what is there a scarcity of in the desert? Well, pretty much everything except for sand and sun, right? And there's no food, there's no water, and they complain. They don't have water, they don't have food. Why would you bring us out here, Moses? Did you want to kill us? Did you want us to starve? And, and, and listen, Moses tells them in Deuteronomy 8.3, listen to what he says God was teaching them in that moment. It says in Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses tells them, He, God, humbled you and he let you hunger. That's amazing. That wasn't an accident. God let them hunger and thirst in the desert. Why? What was the purpose? So that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, the desert was a teaching moment for the people of Israel. And God, what was he trying to teach them? The same thing Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in John 4, that spiritual food and spiritual hunger is more important than physical food and physical hunger. This is why Jesus teaches this principle elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, verse 6, where he says, blessed are those, notice, who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. 
So Jesus shifts their attention. Spiritual food's more important. Spiritual hunger is more important. And then notice what happens. Verse 33, the disciples still aren't picking up what he's putting down. You ever been there? You ever been just a kind of thick-headed disciple? I know I have been. Hard to learn what Jesus is trying to teach us. It says in verse 33, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? I mean, they, they're still stuck on the food. They're saying, Jesus, you have food to eat that no, you didn't tell us about that? Didn't, you had a stash of food the whole time? We didn't have to go to town? Why didn't you tell us? Here, here's what we learn from the disciples' inability to, to really grasp this. We learn that sometimes we can miss the spiritual because we're too focused on the physical. Sometimes we can miss what God is doing because we're too focused on the immediate things happening in the world around us. Sometimes we can miss something eternal like the salvation of a woman and of a lot of people in this Samaritan city because we're too focused on the temporal, like our next meal, and they miss it. That's us so many times. And then notice what it says, picking up in verse 34. It says, Jesus said to them, and here's where he makes it clear. He finally, aren't you glad Jesus condescends to us, and, and when we can't get it, he makes it even clearer. And he says to them in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now he tells them what he means. What is this spiritual food that Jesus longs for more than he longs to satisfy his physical appetite? The spiritual food Jesus hungered for the most was to do the will of the Father and to accomplish the work of the Father. And what was the will and the work of the Father for Jesus to accomplish? It was this, that the Son of Man might come to seek and to save that which was lost. It was laboring in the harvest field of his father. That was the will and work that the father sent him to accomplish. And that's what Jesus hungered for more than he hungered for actual food. He longed to do the father's work. For example, leading this woman at the well to salvation and to eternal life. Leading multitudes of the people from the town who wind up getting saved because he's laboring in this particular part of the harvest field of the father. He longed to do that. He hungered for that. Jesus is showing us here that not only is spiritual food more important than physical food, but also that spiritual food is more satisfying than physical food. Jesus, listen, Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. Jesus has an empty belly, but he has a full heart. Amen? And the disciples are the opposite. They have a full belly, but an empty heart. And too often we're content to have full bellies, but empty hearts. And Jesus is saying, you, if you want to be a fruitful, great commission harvester in the, in the field of God, you've got to switch that around. You've got to get to the place where you hunger and thirst for righteousness and to do the work and will of God and to accomplish the mission of God and to be a laborer in the harvest field of God, to reap the harvest of the Lord of the harvest. You've got to get to the place in your life where you can say with Jesus, my food is to do that. My food is to do that. Now, this church is doing right now an emphasis on prayer and fasting. And I just want to, I want to encourage you to join in on that. You're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Also, every third day of the month, you as a church are called to fast and pray. And, and why is that? Here, here's why I think fasting is so important, even when it comes to Great Commission Harvest work. One of the ways that you can grow in your spiritual hunger is to discipline yourself when it comes to physical hunger. Now, don't get me wrong. I like to eat. Amen? Who else, who else is with me on that? 
And that's not a bad thing. You can overdo it, don't get me wrong, but it's not a bad thing. Paul says in 1 Timothy that God has given us all foods. Everybody say all foods. Yeah, amen, that was your chance. All food to enjoy. (laughs) My favorite verse I quote at Thanksgiving, amen? But sometimes we can take a good thing and we can make it a God thing. And we can be so satisfied with the physical that we don't hunger for the spiritual. And so fasting can help us discipline ourselves in that area. And you can watch your spiritual hunger grow as you keep your physical hunger in check. It's, a way of, it's not a way of saying, I'll never eat again or eating is sinful. It's a way of saying, God, right now I am demonstrating through this practical act of fasting that my food is not this. It's to do your will and your work. God, make me hunger for the things of God. That's what it does. And so I want to encourage you to join in on that. You know, sometimes you can lose your hunger. Maybe you had a time in your life where you were able to say with Jesus, my food is to do the will and work of God. And you were on fire for God. And you were sharing the gospel with your coworkers and with people in the community and going on mission trips. And you were just so excited to see people coming to Christ and God using you to reap a great commission harvest. But somewhere along the way, you lost your hunger. That can happen. I'm a big fan of the Rocky movies. Uh, I'll ask you if you ever, if you like the Rocky movies, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Every year I, I mention that, fewer and fewer young hands go up. They don't know what I'm talking about. Just Google it when you get home. It's about a boxer, and there's like 30 different movies in the series, okay? Keep you busy for the, for the rest of the year. But here's what happens. Rocky is a guy that comes up from nowhere. He's a nobody from nowhere, but he's got drive. He's got drive, and he works hard, and, and he works his way up. He gets a shot at the heavyweight title, and he wins it. And by the time you get to Rocky III, though, what you find is he's kind of enjoying his success a little bit. He's kind of feeling himself a little bit, and he, he loses that drive. And all of a sudden, a, a challenger comes up named Clubber Lang, and he also is a nobody from nowhere, and he's got the drive. And, and in Rocky III, Rocky loses the title to this guy. And not only does he lose the match and his title, at the same time, he loses his trainer, who's like his father figure, Mickey. He dies of a stroke. And so Rocky has lost his title. He's lost his trainer. And he's just in this period of depression. And he's walking around, kind of moping around in the gym where he grew up training. And he's kind of just wallowing in self-pity and doubt. And in walks his friend, Apollo Creed. And Apollo Creed tells Rocky something. He says, Rocky, I want to tell you the real reason you lost that fight. And here's what he tells him. He says, quote, I know your manager dying had you all messed up inside. But the truth is, you didn't look hungry out there. He says, Rocky, when we fought, you had the eye of the tiger. (laughs) Yeah. That song's going off in your head right now, right? Dun, 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 dun. When we fought, you had the eye of the tiger. You were hungry. And now you've got to get it back. Listen, it's possible for you and I as Christians, it's possible for us as churches to lose our spiritual hunger. And if we do, I want you to know, be encouraged, it's also possible to get it back. And how do I know that? Well, because the disciples are a great example. I mean, in John 4... They don't hunger for the things of God like Jesus says they should. They don't hunger for the great commission harvest like Jesus does himself. But by the time you get to Acts, they've gotten the hunger, right? They've gotten the eye of the tiger again. Now they're hungry and they can say, it is my food to do his will and his work. And they see a great 
uh, reaping of a harvest coming in, and you and I need to do the same. Listen, I, I'm afraid that so often some churches are so focused on their health that they don't even realize that somewhere along the way they've lost their hunger. Listen, I want to have a healthy church, but I also want to have a hungry church, amen? And I actually, I believe the way it works is if you show me a church that's lost its hunger for the Great Commission harvest of God, then I'll show you a church that it doesn't matter what the other standards are, they're not healthy in the first place anyway. We've got to have that hunger. So the first essential quality of a Great Commission harvester is hunger. But then secondly, the second essential quality of a harvester that we see in the life of Jesus is vision. Vision. So you've got to have the hunger to do God's work, the desire for it, the drive for it. But then secondly, you've got to have the vision to see the potential for it. And Jesus had that, but the disciples didn't. Notice again what it says in verse 35. It says, Jesus says in verse 35, Do you not say, there are yet four months, and then comes harvest? Jesus here is referring to our tendency toward waiting. We tend to want to wait. Well, now's not the time for harvest. That person isn't ready for me to share the gospel with them. I'm not trained enough to share the gospel myself and to be a laborer in the harvest. I'm going to wait, whatever reason it might be. And listen, at some level, when you talk about the harvest metaphor, we kind of understand that there usually is, in actual harvesting, a period of waiting. Uh, so I don't know about you, but uh, we've got, so we're trying to be kind of little gardeners at our house. We've got a few raised flower beds, and we grow some vegetables and things like that. And if you've ever done that, you know that the way it works is you can't just plant a seed one day and then walk out there the next day and expect to reap a crop. You can't do that. That's not the way it works. Uh, like Jesus said, is there not four months and then comes the harvest? Usually there's a period of waiting. But listen, Jesus is teaching his disciples that when it comes to the kingdom of God, that's where the analogy of the harvest breaks down. Because in the kingdom of God, the time for waiting is over and the time for harvest is now. And so his disciples are in a period of waiting while Jesus is in the period of harvesting and he's trying to get them to do what he's doing. He has the vision to see that. Notice again what it says in verse 35. He says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Then, then notice this. But then he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see. Now notice there that in three different ways in this one part of this verse, Jesus calls our attention to vision. The vision necessary to see the potential for a great commission harvest. Look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes. They've been looking down at their empty bellies. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are already white for the harvest. Sometimes we wait because it's not time to harvest yet, but sometimes we continue in a state of waiting because we simply do not see that the harvest is already ready all around us. And the reason we don't see it is because we're not really looking at it the way Jesus looks at it. We don't have vision. We don't have vision. You know, it's possible to regain that as well, though. I wonder if you ever had times in your life where you didn't have the vision to see great commission opportunities that were before you. And you were in a conversation, maybe, or in the community, and, and you left, and then later it hits you, oh, man, that was an opportunity right there to reap a harvest of the Great Commission, to share the gospel. And I didn't, I didn't take the, I missed the opportunity. You ever been there? I've had that happen so many times in my life. Recently, I'll tell you about a recent one. I've got a discipleship group of some guys and uh, we meet 
once a week, and, and the purpose of this group is explicitly to train other people to be laborers in God's harvest field. So we train them to share the gospel, we train them to do short-term discipleship, and we train them to go out into the harvest field and to reap a harvest. And, and one, of, uh, one day, one of my disciples and I were in a store, and we go into the store, and there's nobody in the store but us, and one guy, a young man that's working at the counter. And we're looking for something in the store, and we ask him for help, and we, we interact with him quite a bit. And at the end of the day, we, we couldn't find what we needed, and we walked out of the store and got into our separate vehicles, and I drove home. Well, a little bit later, my friend uh, texted me. He said, Pastor, I just wanted you to know that after you got in your car and drove home, I went back into the store, and I shared the gospel with the young guy at the counter. <laughs> And uh, he said he was already a Christian, but he really loved the gospel presentation I gave and said, hey, could you teach me how to do that? It's amazing what will happen when you just do the work, amen? And here's the deal. In that situation, I was like the disciples in John 4, unable to see the opportunity. And he was like Jesus in John 4. He had the vision to see the potential that was there. You see, the problem is not that you don't have the opportunities. The problem is you don't see the opportunities that are before you. And the disciples and Jesus are a great example of how that can happen. Listen, Jesus and his disciples are literally standing in the same harvest field. But one of them sees the potential for it and the others don't. Jesus, he looks out across Sychar and he sees this woman at the well and the people in the town. And what he sees through the eyes of faith is a white harvest just waiting to be reaped. But the disciples see it as a pit stop for some food. Amen. And we've got to get to the point where we see like Jesus sees, where we see people like Jesus sees them, where we see potential for harvest like Jesus saw it. Now, what was it? What were some of the things maybe that were keeping the disciples from seeing, from having the vision that they needed? What were the things that were obstructing their view so that they didn't see the fields like Jesus saw them? Well, I think we can pull a few things from the text in John chapter 4. I think one of the things we've mentioned is that food was keeping them from seeing the spiritual work for harvest that God uh, had them there for. But another thing that might have been blurring their vision for the harvest was tradition. You know, the, the scriptures teach us that it was the tradition of the Jews not to even stop by in Samaria to begin with. When people that were Jewish people were traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, they would go to great pains and great lengths to not go through Samaria, which was the shortest route, but rather to cross the Jordan River to go up another way and make their way in a roundabout way up to Galilee because they didn't want to stop in Samaria. That was the tradition. And maybe the disciples didn't see the potential for spiritual harvest in this Samaritan village because their tradition was blurring their view. Maybe that was one of the things. Maybe another thing that was blurring the disciples' vision for seeing great commission potential in this town was racism. We learn in verse 7 of, or verse 9 of John 4 that as Jesus was talking to this Samaritan woman, the, the text tells us that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans were Gentiles and there were specific things about that people group that the Jews didn't like and there was this racist attitude and perspective on most of the Jews toward the Samaritan peoples and maybe the disciples of Jesus didn't even like the fact that they were around these Samaritans to begin with. The only thing this town's good for is food and we're going to get on our way. But Jesus wasn't any ordinary Jew. Jesus was all about breaking down dividing walls of hostility, including racial ones. And, and Jesus is reaping a harvest there. He sees that maybe it wasn't racism, but maybe it was sexism. We also learn in John chapter 4 
in verse 27 that it says that just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to a who? A woman. Can you believe that? He was talking to a woman. And they wouldn't have done that. And maybe it was that, that kind of belief that was keeping them from seeing the potential. Maybe, again, it was preoccupation with their own needs, the food. Maybe it was a lack of urgency. Oh, yet there are four months, and then comes the harvest. All of these things, maybe, and more, were, were blurring the vision of the disciples so they couldn't see the harvest field like Jesus saw it. That was what was keeping them from seeing the harvest field. What's keeping you from seeing the potential for harvest around you? What's blurring your vision from seeing that the fields around you, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, among your family, and, and in clo- and the places in close proximity to this church building, and all throughout Memphis, the nation, and the world, what keeps you from seeing that the fields around you are wide unto harvest? Because I believe that when Jesus says, look, the fields around us are wide for harvest, he wasn't just speaking to something specifically true about Samaria. He was talking about the whole world in between his first and second comings is ripe unto harvest and we just have to see it the way he sees it. What's keeping you from seeing it that way? I wonder if maybe busyness is blurring your vision for the fruitfulness of the harvest field around you. I wonder if focus on material things is keeping you from seeing the people around you that need to be harvested for God. I wonder if it might be racism that's keeping you from seeing the potential for harvest among certain peoples that live around you. Whatever it might be, I want to encourage you today by the power of the Holy Spirit to pray and to ask God to remove from your eyes whatever is an obstacle that blurs your vision for seeing through the eyes of faith that the fields around you are white and ripe for the harvest. God, give us that vision through faith that we might see what is there. So second, the second essential quality of a harvester is vision. So you've got to start with the hunger. You've got to say with Jesus, my food is to do your work, God, and to reap a great commission harvest. And then you've got to have the vision to see the potential that is out there right now all around you if you would just see it. But then there's a third essential quality of a harvester, and this one's really important, and that is labor, labor. You know, it's great to have the hunger. It's important to have the vision, but if you don't actually take the next step and get to the work, then all of that is not going to amount to any harvesting actually being done. So notice with me what Jesus says, speaking up in verse 36 about the labor. He says in verse 36 at the beginning of the verse, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Notice again, the emphasis here is on now, already. The one who reaps, the harvester, is receiving wages uh, and being rewarded. Uh, What's he saying? Well, in Jesus' day, as is often the case in our own, workers in a harvest field would not be paid and given their wages until they had actually done the work of harvesting and reaping. And so when Jesus says already people are being paid to reap a harvest, that means already people are bringing in a harvest and they're being paid for it. They're being rewarded by the master, the Lord of the harvest, for it. Which means the time, again, of waiting is over. Get to the work. And Jesus is trying to get his disciples to enlist into the work that people are already receiving a reward from God for doing. Now, when Jesus says already people are receiving wages for harvesting, who might he be referring to? I don't know for sure, but maybe Jesus is referring to his cousin, John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist had already shown a great 
potential for harvest in his ministry. Many people, multitudes were coming to him, repenting of their sins and being baptized as a symbol of their repentance. Maybe he's referring to John the Baptist as one who is already receiving wages for reaping a harvest. Uh, Maybe Jesus has himself in mind. Uh, Jesus in this moment was already reaping a harvest with this woman at the well and and was about to with all the people from the town that were headed their way and had already done that many times. I mean, even the 12 disciples themselves were the fruit of Jesus' own reaping and, and the reward for that. But either way, Jesus is saying the time for reaping is now. And then notice again at the end of verse 36, it says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower... And reaper may rejoice together. Sower and reaper rejoicing at the same time. Now think about it with me. That's not usually, again, the way it works in the physical world. Normally you sow a seed, and then it's not until later, maybe four months, like Jesus says, that that then you reap it. So sower and reaper don't rejoice at the same time. They rejoice at different times. That's the way it usually works in agriculture. But Jesus is saying, again, that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, as he's just demonstrated with this woman at the well, oftentimes sower and reaper can rejoice at the same time because sowing and reaping can happen at the same time. Jesus just sowed the seed of the gospel in the woman's life at the well, and then the same moment, moments later, reaped a harvest. And he's about to do the same with the people from the town. And so in the kingdom of God, it's possible to do that, sowing and reaping happening at the same exact time. I want to tell you about a, a, an example that I saw of that recently, probably in your own life. You've had times where you sowed the seed of the gospel and you saw someone come to Christ and sowing and reaping happened at the same moment. Uh, Something like that happened recently. A group of us went out and we're committed to sharing the gospel with our whole city, but we especially want to saturate uh, a one-mile radius around our church building because we believe it would be a shame for people to die and go to hell that live within walking distance of our church and we never got the gospel to them. And so we are committed to doing that. And we've been going out in groups and and just praying for people. And we wear our masks because we are in a pandemic, amen. And we wear our masks and we keep our distance, but we knock on the door and we say, listen, I know 2020 has been a crazy year. We're from the church down the street or right across the street. And we just want to pray for you about anything that you might have going on in your life. Is there any way we can pray for you? And I want you to know nine times out of 10, people are happy to share with us something we can pray for them about. And we did that with a young lady. She came to the door, told us that one of her family members had recently passed away unexpectedly. We prayed for her on the spot. We said, hey, do you mind if we share with you what God's done in our life? Shared a a brief testimony. And then, hey, do you mind if I share with you what has made the difference in our lives? Shared the gospel. And within about a 15-minute window of time, we sowed the seed of the gospel, and then we reaped because she repented of her sins and believed in Jesus. Sowing and reaping. All happening at the same time. Sower and reaper rejoicing at the same time. And I want to tell you this morning, that can happen more often than we think because the fields are white under harvest around us. We have to believe it. We have to believe that reaping is possible. Sowing and reaping can happen at the same time. But oftentimes, we don't really believe that. And then notice what Jesus says, picking up in verse 37. It says in verse 37, For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You know, sometimes you share the gospel with someone and it might be the first time they've ever had a seed 
planted in their heart. And yet you can still reap a harvest, just like Jesus in John 4. But then oftentimes, especially in the Bible Belt, you'll be sharing the gospel with somebody and you'll find out that wasn't the first time the seed was sown in their life, but their grandmother took them to church when they were young. And they've already had some seed planted there. They've just not been reaped yet. And you sow and you do reap all at the same time, but, but you were sent like Jesus told his disciples to reap in a field that you didn't, weren't the first laborer in. Now, what's the purpose of this? I think Jesus is telling his disciples this so that they can maintain a humble attitude while they're out there doing the work of the Father in the harvest field. You know, we go out there and we realize, you know what? We're not the first work people in Memphis, Tennessee to work in the harvest field of God around us. There have been other pastors preaching the gospel for us. There have been other people in the church who have shared the gospel in this community before us. And in many cases, we are just being sent out to reap a harvest for which we didn't even labor at first to begin with. And we need to maintain that kind of humility. But we need to expect to reap. Amen? You know, sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, sometimes I'm too content just to sow a seed and move on. And there have been times where I've sown a seed and I've been going, well, that, I, did my, I did my job. I, I snuck in the word Jesus in that conversation. I sowed that seed, amen? And listen, I don't want to downplay the importance of any level of seed sowing. But I do want to say that oftentimes the reason we don't go the next step and actually move from sowing to an attempt at reaping, you can't force reaping. God is the Lord of the harvest and we can plant and we can water. He's going to have to give the increase, but he uses us to do it. And oftentimes we don't take the next step from sowing the seed to attempting to reap and calling people to repent and believe in the gospel simply because we don't have the faith to think that it would actually happen if we tried. That's what I believe. Again, we don't have the vision to see that the fields are white under harvest. The time for not just sowing, but reaping is now. And Jesus was doing it. In John 4. And Jesus wanted his disciples to do it too, because when he leaves them at the end of his earthly ministry, after he has risen from the dead and ascends back into heaven, he wants to leave a group of people that have eyes to see and faith to step out to do the work, to reap a harvest when he's gone. And boy, they end up doing it. And I don't know about you, but I want to do it too. I want my church, I want this church, I want to see many churches raised up who will sow and who will reap all at the same time. We want to reap a great harvest. Hunger, vision, labor, those are three essential qualities of a harvester that if you don't have, you will not be fruitful in God's harvest field like Jesus was. Those are the qualities we see in our master and those are the qualities our master wants to pass on to us as his disciples. So I just want to ask you this morning, church, are you hungry to see God do a great work and to see a great harvest reaped? Are you hungry for that? Do you long for that? Can you say with Jesus, that is my food? And then, do you have eyes to see that the fields around you really are already white? Unza harvest, and are you ready to get to the work of laboring and reaping that harvest? I hope you are. I want to leave you this morning with three very quick action steps that I believe you can take to apply the principles and equalities that we see in this passage into your daily and weekly life. 
Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Three things very quickly. First, I want to challenge you to fast and pray regularly for the harvest. Fast and pray regularly for the harvest. Why? Because again, if you want your hunger for the things of God to grow, sometimes you can discipline yourself and when it comes to the hunger for the things of this world, and that's a way to grow in that hunger and in that vision. Fast and pray regularly. Do it on November 3rd. Try it. Fast and pray regularly. Secondly, keep a name list consistently. Keep a name list consistently. A name list of people that you know who are far from God. All of you have people you know who are far from God. Write down their names. I've got a note file on my phone of a list of unbelievers who are far from God that I'm praying for their salvation. Listen, prayer is not just preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Keep a name list consistently. And then thirdly, share the gospel weekly. Weekly. We need an army of people who will simply share the gospel more consistently. Jesus tells us elsewhere that the more you sow, the more you what? Reap. So you want to reap more? You know what you have to do? You've got to sow more. And sometimes the reason we're not reaping more is simply because we're not, we're reaping in accordance with the measure that we have sown. And we need to sow more. And what that takes is more laborers out there every week, week in and week out, sharing the gospel at least once with somebody who is far from God. Do that and watch God use you, bring in a harvest. Fast and pray regularly. Keep a nameless consistently. Share the gospel weekly and be able to say with Jesus, my food, oh God, is to do your will and to accomplish his work. Now, maybe you're here this morning. My hope and prayer for the Christian in the room is that God would help you become like the master when it comes to harvesting in his harvest field. That's my prayer for you as a Christian. But maybe you're here today And you're not a disciple of Jesus. You're not a Christian. This message has been primarily aimed at people who are believers, calling you to do the the work that God has called us as believers to do. But maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You've never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus and decided to follow him as your Savior and as your Lord. Maybe you don't need to be a harvester today. Maybe you need to be harvested. And so I just want to tell you this morning that the message that God has for you is this. You... And I have sinned against God. We've broken his laws. And as a result, we deserve to be punished for our sin because the wages and payment for sin is death. But the Bible says that the same God you deserve to be punished by loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to live a perfect life, to die at the end of his earthly life on a cross, to pay the penalty you deserve to pay for your sins. He took that upon himself. He died in your place as your substitute for your sins. He was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose victoriously from the dead so that you can have forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life and become part of the family of God. Here's what I'm doing. What I'm doing right now is I'm I'm harvesting. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to urge you right now in this moment to turn from your sins and to believe in Jesus and to call out to him for salvation. How do you express to God that you want to repent of your sins and believe in Christ? You express that to God through prayer. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So is there any reason this morning, unbelieving friend, is there any reason that you wouldn't call out to God right now in repentance and faith. Well, would you please bow your heads with me and close your eyes? We're going to give you an opportunity right in this moment. If you're not a Christian, to do that right now. 
and to commit to become a follower of Jesus, to receive the forgiveness of sins that he wants to freely give to you that he purchased on the cross. And so if that's you, I just want to ask you right where you're seated, would you call out to God right now in prayer? You don't have to even do it out loud, just in your own heart and mind. Would you say something like this? Would you say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your laws. But God, I am sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins. Please forgive me for my sins. And God, I believe in Jesus, that he is your son, that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose from the dead. Please save me. Call out to God just like that. He'll hear your prayer, and he'll save you, forgive you, and adopt you into his family. And then with our heads bowed and eyes still closed, believer, I want to ask you to just pray through those three qualities right now and ask that God would make them qualities that are characteristic of your life more and more. Ask God right now, believer, that he would give you the hunger that Jesus had to do the work and will of the Father in the harvest. That you would be so passionate about reaping a great commission harvest and making disciples, that you would be so passionate about that that it would become what is most satisfying to your soul. And then ask God to also give you the vision to see through the eyes of faith that the unbelieving fields around you are ready. They're waiting for you to come and reap. Give us that vision, Lord. And then, Lord, help us to take the next step and actually get to the work. Ask God to make you a faithful labor. Lord, we pray that you would send us out and that you would gather in your people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, reaping a great harvest for your name, for your glory, O oh God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.